0: This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, good morning, church. It's good to... Good to be together. I I think I failed to introduce myself to any of you that are new to our church, Uh, if we haven't met before. My name is Adam. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic, and uh, it's it's a really it's a gift for you to be with us, particularly if you're here as a visitor, whether it's your first time or you've been hanging around for a few weeks. uh, Just really glad that you're here. Uh, You've picked up uh, perhaps on the theme. uh, We're we're in a season uh, that we call Advent. Uh, if, that's new, if that's new language to you, Advent is simply a word that comes from a Latin word that means coming. And so the, the Christian church uh, for, for generations has celebrated this as an entire season, not just a day that climaxes in the day of Christmas, but it's an entire season. It's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas uh, where we, uh, that we, we embrace the tension of living in the overlap of the ages, uh, kind of using the language of the Bible, uh, we, we are situated um, in a point in history where we are living between the two comings of Christ. And so the, the very familiar territory of, of the first coming, uh, celebrating you know, God becoming a man, much of what we just sang about, uh, and then the anticipation of the future coming, uh, the return of Christ, in which he'll establish his kingdom, which will have no end. And so here we are a people in history uh, that are situated between those comings. and and advent is a season where we uh, where we settle in in the tension, uh, where we don't we don't run to Christmas uh, too quickly. In fact, I, I had to had to tap the brakes with Caleb. He wanted to to sing Joy to the World last week. I said, well wait, we can't get there yet. He uh, not yet, Caleb. We're not we're not we're not we're not there yet. It's coming. Um if you've if you've brought a Bible with you, let me let me just invite you now to open that. Uh, we're we're looking at a number of uh, verses in the New Testament uh, in the, the book of 1 John. So if, you, if you're if you following along, you're welcome to, to find that. It's towards the, the end of the New Testament. So uh, the Apostle John, we believe, was the author of this book. And, and I alluded to this last week, but I want to mention it again. We call it a book. Um, some some of the writings we have in the New Testament are letters. Others are gospels. Others are, are like apocalyptic type of writing. Um John, First John is a collection of three small books in the New Testament, and there's there's a bunch of discussion on this in kind of academic uh, works on what the nature of these are. And, and here's the conclusion I've come to: I believe First John is actually a, a transcribed sermon, and so I, I think that John likely preached this sermon uh, to a church, much like. Uh, what we what we're feeling here is probably in a home, though. Uh, it was transcribed and then it was circulated into the region. Um, and Second John, which has more of the attributes of a letter, uh, ha- was kind of like the cover letter to it. So Second John would have been like what the what the church would have received to kind of introduce the sermon, and then First John would have been what was what was preached. So we're using this as our kind of as our Text for Advent. We're going to just spend our entire Advent season in the first chapter of First John, and then my intention, I believe, which I reserve the right to always change my intentions, but uh, my intention is as we round into the new year in January that that we'll just actually walk through the through the whole book of First John. So uh, let's let's give our attention uh, to the word. Uh, I'm going to read. Uh, last week we covered the first four verses. Uh, this week we're going to look at verses five through seven in the first chapter of 1 John. So, if you're following along, the words will be projected for you if you'd like to follow along in that. The Apostle John writes this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but this is the word of our God, and it will endure forever. Let's pray and ask him to bless uh, the preaching of it. Let's pray together. father we uh, we come once again uh, like we do Sunday after Sunday, uh, looking to your word uh, to hear from you uh, Lord we are not we're not gathered here uh, to hear from a man um, and any ideas that he has lord we 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 want to hear from you from your word, and we believe that you use the preaching of your word through men uh, to speak to your people and so Lord, I pray that you would that you would use me, that you would move. Um, any of, of false motive in myself uh, away from the text and that you would that you would give the hearers um, open eyes and unstopped ears and soft hearts uh, to receive your word this morning, Lord. Uh, the, there are many things outside of this room in this time that are that are crying for our attention. Uh, uh, but Lord, would you by your spirit help us to attend to your word? We want to hear from you. Uh, we pray all these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, uh, I know we're not at Christmas yet, but uh, we're we're ramping up in that direction. And if you're anything like uh, my family, you know, the last seven to ten days, they get a little hectic. You realize how behind you are on the things you wanted to do, the gifts you wanted to purchase, and and all of that. And you know I'm getting a little older, right? I'm hitting my middle age stride here. You know we're kind of in the mid, mid parenting range. We've got we've got a, if you're new to new to our church, new to our family, we've got an 11 year old, a 9 year old, and the 4 year old So we're like we're trying to hit some strides on the on the parenting uh, front here. And I every every year I'm taken aback at how many of my childhood memories are around Christmas. I don't know if that's the case for you, but I. I remember all the gifts I got and, and the ones I didn't. My mom's in the room, so I've got to be a little... Actually, she's not in the room. She's in the nursery. We'll, we'll talk freely today. Um, you know, I remember all the gifts I received and the ones I didn't receive. And I'm just... I'm kind of... It's, it's a little jarring to for me to think about that. Like, wow, this, this is kind of a momentous thing we've created in our culture. You know, love it or hate it, it is, it is what's part of our lives. And, um, you know, I, I got to share with you, my mom's not in the room, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embellish a little bit here um, about a gift I received in the early 90s. Um, now, the early 90s, uh, you know, about half of this room will get this, others won't. Uh, they had these things called compact discs, okay, uh, it's how we it's how we received our music. And early '90s, it, you know, compact discs were all the rage. And so, the first gift I opened this year—I don't remember what year it was—but you know, I was probably 10, 11, 12, right in that range or so. Was was just a little little Sony boombox, right? Single single tape deck, just a single disc player. You know, you'd hit that little button, it'd be like tss. they had like the tss, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and you know, you just, so so I got the boombox. You know, that is what I asked for. I know that's what I wanted. Uh, what I didn't ask for uh, was what would go into that boom box. And so I open up, you know, I've already opened up the boombox. box. I know what that is. And if you remember how CDs used to be packaged, they were like in these cardboard things that were like, you know, 12 inches. And they, I don't know, know why we packaged them like that initially, but they were like these big things. And I, and I saw that and I said, oh, there's my first CD. There it is. Like, this is, this will determine my destiny. Like, this is my first CD, and so I, I began just unraveling the, the rap. My parents were, you know, watching with bated breath. And I, I opened it up, and lo and behold, my first CD was Gloria Stefan. <laughs> and, you know, Mom liked Gloria Stefan, And I'm pretty sure that's what we listened to in the car, so that's what she kind of wanted to listen to in the house. And, um, but hey, you know, it's CD, had the boom box, and so, I, you know, to this day, I still listen to Gloria Stefan. but um, it was, it was in so many ways, you know, the gift I didn't ask for, right? It, and, and I, you know, I see that in myself, even with my parent, or with my children, like, I'm giving them gifts they're not really asking for, right? Like, things I know they need, Right? <laughs> Um here's, here's the thing with, I think that, that might, might be true of First John that I want you to consider. Uh, you know, I think these verses and, and the ones that follow in the coming weeks are, are kind of like that, that gift for me in that um, God is offering you something you didn't necessarily ask for and it comes to you in a way that you certainly don't expect. Um, so what's unique about Christianity and the gospel is it that that God gives us um, what we really don't want in ways that we don't expect. And and I think, you know, I think what can be said of, of all of us here um, across the board is that what God is offering us is not something we would necessarily ask for. Like I, I think that's true. And the thing I think he's offering us is what the Bible calls koinonia. Uh, we translate it commonly fellowship, community. We kinda, I kind of riffed on that a little last week. But w- what, I, what I think, you know, John is, is, is offering us through Christ this morning is what the Bible calls koinonia. And it's not something we would ask for, and it certainly doesn't come to us in the way that we would expect it. And the problem is um, koinonia can only happen, and, and when I say I'm using koinonia, it's the Greek word for fellowship, so I, I don't know, I just have this aversion to the word fellowship, I, I'm, I'm working through it, like, with my counselor, um, but, like, I just, I, it, I feel like fellowship, it's just, it's lost, it's significant, so, I, if, I'm gonna try to interchange it in here, the Lord's working on me here, but, like, when I say koinonia, I, I just want it to fall on you in a different way than the word fellowship probably has, that's, that's it, but koinonia, um, is only possible in darkness is actually what I think God is, is suggesting here and, and I think um, I think you know what, what John uniquely does and what I want you to see in this passage is that the only way to get what you didn't ask for, which isn't what you're really asking for anyway, but the only way to get it is by going into the darkness. Um, John seems to suggest that the way koinonia happens is for light to expose dark places. Uh, here's, here's what we're going gonna, gonna to... I'm a points preacher. If you're new to our church, I usually try to give us kind of some points to hang on so you kind of know where we're at. If you get lost in the mix, you can kind of pick back up with us. But three, three things we're going to look at this morning. And, and I'm going to use the language of reality um, because I think in this passage and in the one next week, when John uses the word truth, uh, what he's not talking about is like a set of doctrines. He's talking about reality. So, I'm, again, I'm playing on words, but I'm going to use the, the, the language of reality. So three things we're going to look at from this passage. We're going to look at uh, expressing reality, exposing reality, and then embracing reality. So, let's look at verse 5 um, in expressing reality. Now, John... Um, Uses sets up this motif, this theme that runs throughout all of his writing. It's it's the theme of light and darkness. And it's not unique to just John, but it is kind of John's thing. Um, It shows up in his gospel account. So if you didn't know this, he also wrote one of our four gospel accounts, the gospel of John. And then it shows up throughout this letter. And, you know, I I just kind of wanted to let John speak for himself. So let me just shuffle through. A few uh, verses in the Bible that talk about this this theme of light and dark. Let me just, uh, Isaac, if you can keep up with me here, let me just read through some verses here. In him, that's Jesus, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I think there's one more. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Now, I read all those verses to you because what, what Jesus is doing that's captured in John's writing is he's saying, I am the light of the world. I've come into a dark world to reveal reality. Because at the, at, the, at the essence of what light does, what does it do? It reveals reality. And what Jesus is saying is, I am reality, <laughs> I am the real of the reals, you know, as our confession of faith, said, I'm, I'm God of God, true light of true light, right? And so Jesus comes and he disrupts people's lives by saying, if you want to know reality, you must know me. If you want to know the substance of what is true, what is real, what is absolute, you, you can only do that through me. And so he is saying, I am the fullest expression of reality. And when you ex- experience reality as it's offered to you only in Christ, can you experience what the Bible calls koinonia. So, so Jesus was the only one who has ever had deep, genuine, lasting koinonia with God. You know, uninterrupted fellowship with God. That's what, that's what Jesus says. And, and here's, this is, this is the linchpin of the whole passage. In fact, I need to let you know this because it's going gonna, it's gonna to alter next week's sermon. Verse 5 is the headline of, of this section. Let me read it again because this is what John's saying. This is the message. This is the core of it. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And a really wooden literal translation of the original languages would read like this: "God is light; no darkness in Him, none." It's a double negative, right? We don't usually talk like that. But but what John is saying is, God is the essence of reality, and there's no shadow, or turning, or deception inside in Him at all. Now now here we need to sit with this for a minute because here's. Here's what I think is probably true of you: you have a really hard time believing that. I have a really hard time believing verse five of First John chapter one, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness, none at all. Because um, how how like you feel the risk of believing this passage when you when you open yourself to what? John suggesting, descending into darkness, right? What, what, You know, let me just give some examples of, of why we don't believe verse five. We don't believe that God could be so utterly good that he would never change his mind. Like, like there's something in us um, that, that believes God is two-faced. In other words, that he might present a certain way but he might ultimately turn out not to be that way. Um, there, there's, there's, this, there's this sense in us that we think at the, at the heart of God, his motives might be mixed. Because, again, if you're going to believe what this text is offering you, that you can have genuine, deep koinonia with God and with people, there's, there's risk involved. And you cannot do what John is going to suggest that we do without feeling why you feel resistant to do it. And the reason you feel resistant to do it is because you don't believe, verse 5, that God is entirely good. There's not not a hint of darkness inside of him. There's not even the possibility that he would deceive you. And, 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 you know, like even just at the, like at the mildly irritated level, like God, you know, I, think, I feel like that's how I experience God a lot of times. It's like I just, you know, it talks about his, you know, his, his pursuit of us, his love for us. We sing about it. We say it. We'll talk about it. But, but underneath all of that, I'm, I'm, I'm frequently asking myself, God, aren't you just irritated with me? Like, when will you just stop tolerating my negligence or my foolishness or my waywardness? And, and again, you've had no human that is like him, right? So Jesus comes as light of light, true God of true God. There's no turning and no deceit, no shadow, no darkness, no mild irritation, no just tolerating you. He is the very essence of love, right? He's the light of light, and that's the thing that was so disruptive to people. It's hard to believe. Um, I want to make mention of the, these cards here, and, and not just actually. I'm not even going to talk about the offering component of it. I want to talk about the backside of it. So we've we've done these this Christmas offering slash impossible prayer request. Our whole existence as a church, with the exception of last year, uh, we did COVID year, or whatever. We didn't, we didn't do it last year, but you know we've done these quote unquote impossible prayer requests, and you know my family, we've we've participated in it, and we've we've written things down for ourselves, and we've seen God work in some really tremendous ways. Um, but you know we were talking about this year and what we would pray for. And if you don't know this about my family, you, you will now. Uh, my wife uh, was diagnosed with a chronic illness uh, just over three years ago, an autonomic disorder, um, and it's been it's been a really challenging few years for us as a family, and certainly for her as an individual. And you know, for the prior years, we had we jotted down you know our prayers that God would heal Heather. Like we want we would love her to be healed. We believe we believe that God can do that. But but this year. A conversation has been struck up in our home, and we've come to the conclusion that we don't think we've ever really asked God to heal Heather. Now, you know, we've written the prayer down, and of course we've prayed and asked God to do that. We know he's certainly capable of doing but what we've discovered through some, through some conversation in our home that's still ongoing, we haven't even filled out our card yet, is we're not, we're not doubting that God can heal her we're doubting that he's willing to and and that's that's something different right and you know what i'm discovering and what i want you to think about is that the reason why i'm doubting that he will is because i'm doubting verse 5 like i think there's a part i think that there's a part of god that that doesn't desire that and and here's the thing about the impossible prayer request, and I want to be clear about this. He he could very well answer the prayer no, right? Like it, it, I'm not saying if you genuinely ask it, you'll get the answer you want. But what I am saying is that if you don't believe that God is light and there's no darkness in him, none at all, you won't really ask because there's a risk in asking a God like that, right? So are we willing to risk and trust that God is actually good, that that is what reality is, that God is light and in him there's no darkness, none at all. That's what, that's, that's what the expression of reality is. Well, let's, let's talk about the exposure of it. Um, here's what, here's, again, I want you to know how the, the passage functions. Um, verse 5 is the headline truth. And then John goes on in three different uh, ways in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10 to address something that's going on in the local context of that church. And you see it in the language of if we say. So um, here, I I think I alluded to this last week. When you're interpreting your Bible, when you're reading your Bible, there's some key principles that you should put in place. The one I think I mentioned last week was that we we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? So like... What we want to learn about what light is, we read the scriptures, right? So scripture interprets scripture. Well, here's here's another really good principle, just to kind of tuck in your back pocket when you're reading the Bible, is, is that context is king. Um, and by that I mean, uh, the Bible never means something to us that it didn't mean to the original hearers, okay? So like, we can't draw application out of a passage if that never meant that to what John was speaking to, right? So all of our application stems from the original context. Context is king. So what, So what's the context here? Well, with John, what we think, and when I say we, I'm always thinking of you know, people I'm communicating with in, in scholarly works and all the things. Uh, what we think's happening is John is addressing some teaching that was going on in the church. And so that if we say language, is John saying, listen, if, if you say this, and in today's passage is, if you say you have fellowship with God, and yet you're walking in darkness, well, then you lie and you don't practice the truth. So it appears that there were some teachings that had kind of trickled into the church that were teaching that, hey, you, um, you, can, you can have this fellowship with God and kind of be private. So that language of fellowship we think actually was from some of these teachers in the church. And what, what John seems to be suggesting is, listen, if you want that kind of koinonia, um, you can't be in the dark. Now, here's, here's, here's where I think we've commonly, maybe you've heard sermons on this, here's what we think John's saying. We think John's saying, if you do dark things or you act dark thoughts, or you do dark deeds, right? Like if you're a, if you're a dark person, well, then you're not really in the light. And, and actually, I don't think that's what John's talking about at all here. In fact, I don't think this is a salvation thing. So I don't think John is writing to, to people who he thinks are not Christians. I think he's writing to Christians who are walking in darkness. And so, so I'll say this, like this is not a salvation issue. I mean, I'm on the record here, the public record, right? Everything's recorded. Like, I think you can walk in darkness and still be a Christian. And, and here's why. I, th- nothing in the context seems to suggest uh, that, he, that John is talking about things that, like, Paul talks about, like the works of the flesh, the works of evil, okay? Okay? Look at it again. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. So um, what, what John seems to be suggesting is that in order um, to have this gift of koinonia with God, you must be connected to, to your reality, okay? You must know what's actually going on and this is what light does. It, is, it exposes what is real, what is true? What is actually going on? And I think, again, I think many well meaning Christians, somewhere probably right here in the midst, would, would be totally fine just living with disconnected reality, right? Just kind of humming at the surface, right? Um, but, but here, and I don't always quote ancient Jewish philosophers, but you know, I, I stumbled on one, so let me just read this quote from Philo. Here's what I think Philo, who was like this early Jewish philosopher, I think he nails it, so I'll give you his words, not mine. He says this, For it is impossible for us who are but men to foresee all the contingencies of future events or to anticipate the opinions of others. But to God, as dwelling in pure light, all things are visible. And here's, here's where I want to hover in. For he, that is God, who sees all things, knows all things, he is pe- penetrating into the very recesses of the soul, is able to see with the most perfect certainty what is invisible to others. You see, what, what Philo is after, and what I'm after, what I think John is after, is that God because he is light, is exposing the deepest recesses of our soul. And, and, and that is where koinonia happens. Only when there's a willingness to be exposed. Now, here's, here's the, the plight of the human race, right? Here's the, here's the devastation of it all. We are, we are very comfortable and familiar with hiding in darkness, right, um, from, from, the, from the onset of our rebellion in the garden, we've been very, very familiar with the darkness. And the darkness is, is, is called hiding in shame, okay? So, you know, hot, hot button word there, shame. I'm not going to really explore all the depths and meanings of that. But, like, if I were to, like, just kind of just pin something on the board, of what we do is we feel shame. And shame's kind of like this slow-moving train in our lives. That it's not like always this crashing in, rushing, you know, plow you down. It's this slow thing that you cannot stop. It's not the thing that inside of you that says, I've done bad things. It's the thing inside of you that says, I am a bad person. And, and what, what the God of the Bible seems to be doing is exposing that to be not true. Now, what I'm not saying is we're not bad people. In fact, we're going to find out we're really bad people next week. Um, But what I am saying is that the plight of humanity is hiding in the darkness and we have good reason to hide because it's not safe in the light. It feels not safe. It feels really vulnerable. And and I just want to be honest. Like, in a group our size, I don't know everyone's story, but I know some of your stories. Stories of pain, and loss and betrayal, you know, stories of lost marriages, the death of children, the inability to conceive, right? Like the depths and the woes of loss and rejection, right? The hooks of addiction inside of you that just can't seem to stop, right? Like to, to feel all of that inside of you right and all that has happened to you and in you the inclination is to stay in the dark it's too dangerous out there and god says i'm light there's no darkness in me at all so let me come in and let me expose your reality and here's the thing there's there's two types of reactions to this right one is the cockroach right the cockroach, when it sees the light, it runs. I want nothing to do with this. This is deeply uncomfortable. I will hide in the crevices of the pantry until I die before I come out. Right? And then the other's the moth. And the moth is drawn to the light. And the moth, for some reason, feels safe in the light, even though the you know analogy breaks down because they all die in the light somehow. Um, <laughs> but, but like the creatures, like the response is there, right? And so, you know, the monster of shame can only be silenced in the presence of light. That whisper inside of you that just says, What's, what is wrong with me? Is only silence when you come into the one who is light, and in him there's no darkness, none at all. So how do you embrace that reality? Because what I've just proposed to you, what I think the scriptures are proposing to you is an, in, an invitation to embrace reality. And I don't, I don't care, you know, I don't have to know everyone's story to know that you have a story. And the stories of harm, they've, they've deeply impacted your entire life. And, you know, cockroach, run and hide, or moth come into the light. So let's talk about the embracing reality part. Um, I was talking to my brother uh, this weekend, one of my brothers. He was telling me I brought his kids, got a couple young kids, out to the River of Lights. Um, I, you know, if you haven't done the River of Lights, pretty cool. I, I don't know if they, I think they didn't do it last year. But anyway, we have we didn't go last year, but we've we've been in years past. And he was telling me about how it went and all the things. And And, and in my mind, you know, I'm like getting excited about it. But like my closing statement on the, uh, on the conversation was this, how much is it going to cost me, right? Like, you know, here I am hitting my dad's strides, middle age. Um, but like at the end of the day, I want to know how much is this going to cost me, right? To get in, if I want to give my kids this great Christmas experience, I found out it's it's going to run me about 100 bucks because my kids aren't the little ones where they don't charge for anymore, but, you know. Anyway, so, so how much is it going to cost you to embrace reality? And, and here's my answer to that. More than you can afford. Um, your reality, your truth, your darkness, is is worse than you ever even imagined. And and that's really sad and depressing on the one hand, um, but the good news is is all laced up in verse seven. Here's here's what the scriptures say: If you will walk in the light, as he's in the light. It, Let me subtext that. If you're willing to be the moth that's going to be drawn in, if you're willing to stop ignoring the pain, if you're tired of the dull drumming of depression, if you're longing to know what is going on that you can't seem to to get a hold of on your own strength and your own gifts, if you want that, verse 7 says this, if you'll do that, if you'll come out, we have fellowship with one another. Now, did you catch that? At the beginning he says if you say you have fellowship with God, here he says, well, here's here's the unexpected gift. You'll actually have connection with people. So what I what I think John is doing uh, and then he guarantees, you know, the costliness of it. And and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So he's saying You know, koinonia with God will cost you more than you can afford. But if you're willing, if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to do what the Bible's inviting you to do, you'll have a koinonia with people. You know, I think it's Maya Angelou. This is off the cuff, not even, you know, just kind of came to mind. You know, the greatest burden you can bear is a story untold. And I just wonder how many stories are untold in this room. Um, the good news about Advent, the good news about this passage, is that the light of the world was plunged into darkness. And here's the thing. If you're new to Christianity, you know, maybe, maybe you're just kind of exploring the implications of Christianity there's no other There's no other worldview, there's no other religion, there's no other philosophy that says, come explore the darkness of your story, of your pain, of your harm, of what's going on inside of you. And oh, by the way, God entered into that. Because here's what Christianity doesn't do. It doesn't dismiss your pain, and it also doesn't ask you to solve it on your own. What it says is, I will will come down into the abyss of darkness with you. I won't necessarily take it from you, but I will be there with you. Because Jesus Christ is the light of the world and his work on the cross was sufficient. In other words, you know, what we see Christ doing on a Roman cross some 2,000 plus years ago is not setting this high religious example of what it means to follow God and to sacrifice your life for him. Like, if you've ever heard it packaged like that, please dis, just forget that. Here's, here's what we see in Christ's work on the cross, is the light of the world plunging himself into the abyss of judgment. He goes into the darkest place, right? He goes in, he's treated... Like sin itself, you know. The scriptures say that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So he willingly plunges himself into the abyss, and then he and then he invites you and says, "It's safe because I'm, I've been here. I've done this for you. I've I've paid the cost. My my blood is sufficient. He cleanses us from." The text is very clear. That English translation is fantastic. All sin not just part of it, not just a a fraction of it, not just even the things that you're aware of, like the deepest of the deeps of things that have happened to you and things that you have done to others. The worst of the worst, the darkest of the dark, the most despairing of all despairing has been sufficiently atoned for. It's been covered. It's funded. And Jesus Christ says, Embrace reality because here's what Jesus came to do. He came to mend hearts that have been broken by sin. Not hearts that are avoiding reality. Um, I want to close like this. And it's, it's both a closure to this sermon um, and also a bit of an introduction to next sermon. And here's the sad news. Um, I've been waiting for the opportunity, this is a once in a lifetime ministry illustration opportunity, and I'm, I'm cashing it in today. This is the day. However, you might, you might get it in part next week because I, I didn't get the video. We were actually going to show a video, uh, b- but I didn't get it in in time, and we're still uploading it. Anyway, here's, here's the once in a lifetime ministry thought that I want you to think about. Drum roll, please. I do this with my kids. Drum roll, please. The Matrix. Okay, the matrix. You get to use the red, blue, red pill, blue pill one time in your life. And by God's grace, you all get to experience this right now. Um, sadly, so here's the homework. Go home and watch the video on YouTube. Just search red pill, blue pill, the matrix. It'll pop up. But let me set the scene. I'll just do this verbally for you. It's not nearly as impactful. But, you know, there's a new matrix coming out. There's new life in this. But in 1999, if, I mean, I just even need to know. Hold up. Do I have time? I got time. Who has seen the matrix? Oh, thank you. My wife has not seen the matrix. I'm sorry, Heather. I had to throw you under the bus on that. Um, so, great. I don't have to spend a ton of time. Listen, in the red pill, blue pill scene, just to refresh your memory, uh, there's two things that I want you to pay attention to when you go home and watch it later and maybe when we show it next Sunday as our call to worship. Um, <laughs> here's, here's what happens. There's two statements that I really want to draw your attention to. The first one is made by Trinity uh, as she's bringing Neo into the room to meet with Morpheus. So Trinity, um, she's she, he, going into the room and she says this as he walks in. She says, be honest. He knows more than you can imagine. And he goes into the room, and Neo has this conversation with Morpheus about reality and the matrix and whether he's going to take the blue pill or the red pill. And, um, and here's Morpheus' closing comments as, he, um, as he's about to take the pill. He says this, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. And man, oh man, I don't preach sermons on movies. We're not that kind of church, but man, oh man. In those two statements is contained um, a ton of truth that I think is connected to what John is trying to suggest. Be honest about your reality, okay? He knows more than you can imagine. He knows you better than you know you. He knows the depths of your being. He knows your darkest thoughts. He knows the deepest places. And then... All he's offering you is the truth and nothing more. And, and here's, if you feel the rub of that tension, here's the truth that must be the resounding inner chorus of your soul. God is light. There's no darkness in him. None at all. Let's pray together. God, I am the first one to admit my discomfort in being honest about the realest parts of me, my familiarity with walking in darkness, Lord, just aloof and distant and detached. But Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm interested and I, I wonder if anybody else here is interested in what you're offering us, even though it's not what we necessarily asked for. And Lord, we know that we're part of the greatest story ever being written by the greatest author who's ever existed. So Lord, would you help us as we explore the own chapters of our life and our spiritual life with you, um, just to believe um, that you're light and that there's no darkness in you at all. Help us to be honest and to know that you know more than we can even imagine And in that terror and that fright and that temptation to be the cockroach who dies in the corner of the pantry alone, uh, Lord, would you draw us? Would you, by your Spirit, help us to see the light as something that can heal and offer hope and restore and mend hearts that are devastated by sinfulness? Would you do all that, Lord? pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives.